This is The Bryn Cooper Show, where we discover what's inside the deep, dark hole called your mouth. Are you ready? Welcome. We're doing another segment of The People's Choice. When I get asked questions, I end up doing a little podcast. And I actually have gotten so many questions about pricing. We're in the middle of a series called The Everlane of Orthodontics, Transparent Pricing. And today's episode is going to be talking about how insurance breaks down pricing. The last time I spoke on transparent pricing, we looked at how the orthodontist prices the case. Now, we're going to look at how the insurance does it. And you may think, why are there two different episodes? Pricing is pricing. Especially if you're trying to be transparent, there should just be one way to explain it. And my answer is this. We're looking at two different facets of the same issue. So just like jewels have different facets, and if you look at one side, it looks like a heart shape or a triangle. And then if you look at a different facet, it could look like a square from that angle. And even though it's the exact same jewel, it can look really different at a different angle. When insurance looks at it, they're looking at a different side or a different facet of the same issue, the same pricing. When orthodontists look at it, we really look at it from a totally different direction. Another aspect of this episode that I need to point out is that we're going to talk about in-network, out-of-network, people who are providers. And when I say in-network throughout this episode, I'm going to be talking about in-network for PPO insurance companies versus out-of-network for PPO insurance programs. As a side note, I want to go off on a tangent just a little bit. There are other insurance programs such as HMOs, which are also referred to as DHMOs by some people. There's Medicaid and other government programs like CHIP. For these programs, if you're out-of-network, there is no opportunity to be reimbursed. So if you have one of these insurance programs, in order to have any chance of being reimbursed, you must go to an in-network provider. The other aspect to look at is whether or not you're going to get reimbursed at all if you have an HMO, DHMO, Medicaid, or other government-sponsored program. And let's be clear, HMOs and DHMOs are not government-sponsored. They are with insurance companies that are not usually affiliated with the government. When an in-network provider or an HMO or DHMO submits a claim, they go back and forth several times, and they have to submit a point system to get difficulty levels. And then the insurance company evaluates that difficulty level and evaluates the records and determines if the point system was turned in properly or not. If they determine that the points are too low, even though the provider is in network, and maybe they've gone back and forth several times, and possibly even the case has already started if the patient said they wanted to go ahead whether or not the insurance paid out, then the provider would not get any reimbursement from the insurance company. If, on the other hand, the provider turns in the point system for an HMO, DHMO, Medicaid, or other government program, and they determine that it is difficult enough to get reimbursement, then usually these negotiated rates are lower than other PPOs or out-of-pocket fees for orthodontics. So you end up with a lower case fee for a very complicated case, and it makes it very difficult for the providers to stay in business 
because each and every one of those cases from an HMO, DHMO, Medicaid, or other government program, you rarely make money on those cases. And so if it's a clinic that takes a bunch of them, most of the time they end up going out of business because they just cannot make money. Be careful with that. Um, the other issue to note is in Texas right now, because so many Medicaid claims were approved several years ago, now there's been an audit on people's records. And I really don't know of any Medicaid providers that are actually getting reimbursed for orthodontics at this time in Texas. That's DHMO, HMO, Medicaid, CHIP, other government programs. From now on, we'll talk about in-network or a preferred provider of an insurance program, and I will be referring to someone who's in-network or a preferred provider for PPO. If the doctor is out of network, I will only be referring to them as out of network for a PPO. When an in-network provider for a PPO has signed an agreement with the insurance company, they have agreed to a certain price. It's usually lower than what they may give to other people who are not with that insurance company. If a doctor is out of network for a PPO but still accepts insurance, so if you call and say, hey, do you take my insurance? Well, if you're out of network, you still take it. You still say yes. Will you accept assignment of benefits, yes or no, and are you in or out of network? And that is a difference. So both of those questions are very important. Whether you're in or out of network, you can only get up to 50% of your case fee reimbursed by insurance. I've never seen the number be different. So at some point there might be a different number, but as of right now, I've only seen up to 50% of the case get reimbursed by insurance. For example, the other limitation on the reimbursement that can be provided to an out-of-network or an in-network provider is that there's a lifetime maximum on orthodontics. The only time I've seen someone get around this is if they use one lifetime maximum with one insurance company and then they swap insurance companies and that lifetime maximum is also used. Most of the time the company is switching mid-treatment and so one company pays out one portion and the other company pays out another portion and you really end up with something right around the original lifetime maximum. Let's do a couple of examples so that you can see what I mean by this 50% reimbursement up to the lifetime maximum. So let's say an orthodontic case is a nice round number of around $5,000. If you get reimbursed 50% of the case up to a lifetime maximum is $2,500, then the orthodontist will get that $2,500, the patient will pay $2,500, and that is exactly 50% of the case, and it's exactly the lifetime maximum. So that will be the same number. Let's say in a different case you have $5,000, and the lifetime maximum is only $1,000. So it's 50% of the case up to the lifetime maximum of $1,000. That means that the insurance company will reimburse the $1,000 and then stop. And the rest of it, the $4,000, will all be the patient's responsibility. So even though it's 50%, it's only up to that lifetime maximum. So if that lifetime maximum is under 50% of the cost of the case, then it's whichever number is lower. Let's do one more example where the lifetime maximum is higher than 50% of the case. So once again, the case is $5,000. The lifetime maximum for this patient is $3,000 with a 50% reimbursement up to the lifetime maximum. That 
is a case where the insurance company will reimburse $2,500, which is 50% of the 5,000, and they will keep the last $500 of the lifetime maximum because they will not reimburse more than 50% of the case. So you can have any of those three scenarios. All right, now we're going to talk about the different categories that the insurance codes look at to quote unquote itemize the case. And all of this is going to be done for an in-network provider. We'll go over some of the differences for an out-of-network provider towards the end. The in-network provider will give a code, a D8080 or D8090. Within that code, the insurance company is taking into account the price of supplies and labor and possibly records, any preparation time, any paperwork time, and any fixed costs. Within that code, they already have built in the price of supplies. The supplies they take into account are really the minimum that you can use to get a case completed, which is metal brackets, wires, color elastics if you don't have the gates on it to hold the wire in, and then any elastics to fix the bike. If there's any other supply that is still a quote unquote metal bracket, which is not the price they've calculated, it will cut into the profit margin. So say there's a better quality metal bracket from one company that costs two or three times the amount of a metal bracket from another company, but the results are just so much better with the predictable bracket, well, the cost difference is not taken into account by the insurance company. They're not going to reimburse more for a higher quality bracket. And then if the doctor prefers pre-pasted brackets or self-ligating on the brackets so that the results that they see are more predictable and better because it prevents some of these other side effects, that increased cost is not taken into account by the insurance company. If there is an extra cost and it's a metal bracket and the doctor tries to put in a miscellaneous code, which is the D8999 code that I will talk about in a minute, the insurance company will actually reject that miscellaneous code and it does not matter what the reasoning is in narrative. If it's a metal bracket, they will not increase the amount of cost that you can charge the patient for a case as an in-network provider. So it puts doctors in the predicament where they must find the cheapest supplies available in order to increase their profit margin and keep going. Either that or they soak the cost and then it becomes less profitable. Now let's talk about some of the D8999 miscellaneous codes that the insurance company will accept as an increase on the case fee for in-network providers. This includes clear brackets, Invisalign, lingual brackets, custom wires, an expander or any other appliance, a distalizing appliance, a sagittal appliance, any appliance that's not brackets that is metal. And these must be placed in a D8999 code, which most of the time the company will send back and say, you can't use those extra supplies. Even if it's clear brackets or Invisalign or something that they will normally reimburse for, they just create extra paperwork, extra time for the staff at whatever company or doctor is trying to get the case fee increased. And then a narrative must be written, sent back to the insurance company. If it's something that's pretty standard at this point that they will reimburse for, that first narrative will usually do it. If it's something that's a little outside the box, 
than say a TAD supported arm that you're pulling a canine down on. That's not something that everybody just does. It's not something that the insurance company is used to seeing. And you turn that in, it may take two or three different narratives or possibly even a call with the doctor that's looking at the x-rays at the insurance company in order for them to allow the in-network provider to increase the price at the office that the patient must make up the difference for. So let's talk about a scenario where the doctor prescribes an expander prior to the placement of braces and they put it in as a D8999. And of course the pre-approval comes back okay. And they're an in-network provider. They put the expander in, the insurance company takes two to three months to get back to them. And they say, we're not going to reimburse for the expander. That's what happens most of the time. The doctor writes back a narrative and says, this is why the expander was needed, even though in x-ray it's not noticeable. Here's a clinical picture, there's a crossbite. We really needed to make sure we get that done with the expander prior to braces. And here's why I think that was a better course of action. Now, most of the time they'll say, okay, you can have the expander. But let's say in the rare case, they don't recognize the need for the expander and they don't accept the narrative from the doctor the first time. Well, you either turn in another narrative and hope that they'll see the difference or the other option is if you go through two or three narratives they still won't accept it well you've already done the expander it's long gone by the time you've done two or three narratives you're six to nine months down the road you've given the patient the appliance the patient has worn the appliance the appliance is even taken out and done with but you're still trying to negotiate with the insurance company over whether or not the case fee can actually be increased to reimburse the doctor for the cost of a supply that's already been ordered, already been paid, already been used, and already done with. And really this puts doctors in a tight spot. What ends up happening at places that do a lot of insurance reimbursement and so much more effort for the staff, and if the doctor is not the one running that clinic, then the admin side that is higher up in the corporation really will put pressure on those doctors not to use additional appliances. And it's never outright said, no, you can't use those appliances. But when it doesn't get reimbursed and then it gets taken out of the doctor's portion and the administrative side just says we can't get reimbursed for it. So, you know, the doctor then is incentivized not to use additional appliances outside of brackets and wires and elastics. Now, last time we talked about preparation time and the insurance company certainly doesn't take into account any preparation time with the patient not in the chair. They also do not take into account paperwork time to deal with the insurance and get the deserved insurance payment for the patient. The patient is paying this insurance and the insurance has said that they will pay it. And most clinics and doctors are doing the very best that they can to ensure that the patient gets every dollar that they deserve because they've been paying the insurance premiums. But the insurance definitely does not account for the time that it will take the company or the doctor's office to get that reimbursement for their patients. The next thing that's calculated is labor. And since there's one case fee, there's one or two insurance companies that will do it based on the number of months of treatment but they don't do it by office visit and they don't do it by the cost of labor. And the cost of labor is usually calculated at a very cheap rate. They're like, well, minimum wage is 725. 
I bet you can get an assistant for somewhere between 7.50 and 8, and the approximate number of hours that you need for chair time is 18 hours, and that's what we're accounting for. And then they have the cheapest rate that they can find for a doctor, and that's what's accounted for. When there are no issues with care, the patient's compliant, the bite is corrected easily with elastics, everything goes ideally, then this case fee is reasonable. But when things go outside of ideal, that's when insurance has not accounted for the different things that could go wrong, such as a patient you know, breaking excessive brackets, or a patient not having good oral hygiene and having extra appointments because of that. There's a couple different ways that this can be handled by the office. One is to ask the patient for additional funds. And in that case, you're basically saying, because you've broken these appliances, here's an additional fee for non-compliance. And normally that can go okay. I don't know if that actually does get turned into the insurance company or not. Usually, I think it's a non-compliance fee, which would go into a D8999, and after the original claim is filed, usually it takes a couple years for the insurance company to pay out, but they don't usually ask for additional information. That usually goes okay, as long as the patient is willing to pay for those fees, but the insurance company is unaware of the charge, and that's something between the patient and the corporation or the doctor's office that's outside of the insurance. The other way it's handled in some offices that are high volume is that the patient begins to kind of be pushed off by the office. Instead of getting issues addressed and discussed and having oral hygiene discussions, having educational discussions, having broken bracket appointments scheduled, they end up just kind of putting them on that normal four, six, eight, 12 week rotation, whatever their office is on, and whatever can get done in that time period that's for an adjustment, that's what gets done. Then what happens is everyone just starts to get on this rotation where no one's really paying attention to the case progression. And the case can go on for years like this in a high volume place. Maybe it was supposed to take 18 to 24 months, but instead, because you're just showing up at that regular interval and the front desk just keeps scheduling that way, the doctor doesn't have other options, and the case is no longer getting reimbursed, but it needs to be finished, it can go on for months and months like this, and unless the patient actually decides to keep the brackets on, wear the elastics, take ownership of that oral hygiene, different options that could be discussed usually are not discussed, and even if Invisalign or Positioner or something else that's kind of an alternative route could be discussed. It's hard for that discussion to begin because everyone goes into the orthodontic process saying this is what the case will cost and when the supplies change and the scope changes then the costs actually change and many times when you're in a volume situation or sometimes when you're not there's enough pushback from enough people that it discourages the offices from actually offering those options. The next category that we talked about last time was fixed costs. And everybody has a little bit different fixed costs depending on the part of town they're in or which city they're actually in. And insurance takes a lower median of the fixed costs and it doesn't matter where the doctor's located. Their costs that insurance incorporates into the overall fee are set and they're not adjusted based on the area of the country that you're in. 
Because there's all these differences in how the insurance company looks at orthodontic pricing versus how the providers actually calculate out their costs, there ends up being a discrepancy in what insurance companies are telling patients orthodontics should cost versus what orthodontics really is costing the doctor to provide. In addition, because all these D8999 miscellaneous codes go in, it's hard for the patient to differentiate between something that they think that the doctor that they've chosen and trust really thinks is necessary for the best quality of care and the best result versus something that's more optional. What I'm talking about is the difference between an appliance that could really make a difference in how the bite ends up looking at the end versus getting clear trays or clear brackets instead of metal brackets, because both of them will be listed as a miscellaneous D8999, but the appliance could really make a difference in how the end result is affected and how the patient experience is, versus having a D8999 that's just clear braces. The difference between clear braces and metal braces at this point with our technology really is the material the bracket is made out of, not the results. Or having clear trays added on. Yes, there are some times when clear trays will give a better result, or metal brackets will give a better result, but the way it's coded for an insurance, it just makes it seem like it's a choice that the patient has, but it's added on. And that creates an environment where the patient really wants to try and reduce their orthodontic costs because they want it to cost the negotiated rate for the insurance that they have. And the insurance companies, they wanna make sure that when they have doctors who are in network or preferred providers, that they are holding up the contract that the insurance and the provider have entered into. And because of that, the insurance really doesn't want in-network providers charging anything above what the negotiated rate is. And it creates this environment where then the patient comes back to the provider and starts questioning every miscellaneous code or anything that's over the negotiated price. And I really think this is detrimental to the doctor-patient relationship because so many times the doctor just wants to give the best care they can and Every decision that they make that's not just brackets gets questioned by the insurance company. And the person in the office that is assigned to work on the financials is also put in kind of a tight spot because they want their doctor happy, but they also want to make sure they sell the case. And so it ends up becoming a negotiation where the person who's normally called a treatment coordinator or financial coordinator will go between the doctor and the patient kind of negotiating what the case actually will end up being. Then after that, you have to go through the insurance. And what it does is creates an environment where the patient feels like they're getting a little nickel and dimed because they feel like they can negotiate it. The doctor feels like the patient may not value the treatment and it kind of starts the relationship off on this odd footing because of the way the insurance has line itemed the entire process. The last thing I wanna talk about is how insurance pricing has changed over the last 15 to 20 years. Some of the first dental insurances came out in the 50s and 60s, and I'm not exactly sure how that process looked, but I do know that many doctors did not take it for a long time. Then in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, dental insurance became more common, and there started being PPOs versus HMOs and prices were set at that point. In the last 15 years, 
no insurance compensations for orthodontics have increased at all. Yet, inflation has continued to increase, salaries for workers have continued to increase, there's rent that has continued to increase, and it's making it harder and harder to provide the same level of care for that price today compared to 15 years ago. So if anything, I've seen the insurance company's prices go down rather than up, and that keeps squeezing and squeezing the margins so that the cost of goods has to go down or the amount of training of the assistants has to go down or the amount of training for the doctor has to go down. And I think this is a really unfortunate event that has occurred over the last few years because insurance could be a good tool if it's utilized properly and they had some of these standards in place. But the insurance industry has really put the squeeze on the providers to try and find the lowest overhead possible in order to provide the same level of care. And it really has made providing the same level of care hard. And that's why you're seeing this pendulum swing towards concierge care because there's so many doctors that have gotten frustrated with the insurance process that they are unwilling to be in-network providers. And there's a group of providers that do not take any insurance in-network. They maybe they'll accept out-of-network assignment or maybe they'll give the paperwork to the patients to file and get the assignment of benefit but there's a growing number of doctors that will not be in network with any insurance. So just depending on what kind of care you're looking for, what you can afford, now you kind of understand why there are differences when an insurance will line item out an orthodontic case versus what an orthodontist might actually line item out for a case. Hopefully you can understand bills that you get from insurance a little bit better or different estimates that you get from different people a little bit better. Go ahead and look at the show notes and in the blog on coupaorthodontics.com, I'm going to go ahead and outline a few of these examples on how reimbursement might be lined out for HMOs versus PPOs in or out of network. And if any of y'all want a specific example itemized out, I am more than happy to look at someone's insurance bill and give you the best understanding that I could. Or if you have a scenario that you want itemized so I can kind of give you a guideline for what you should be looking for, I'm more than happy to see that too. Looking forward to next time. Thanks for tuning into this show. We want to know what questions you have, or even if there's a specific situation you want me to take a look at and share with the audience. That could be fun. Direct message us on any social media platform or email us at contact at cooperorthodontics.com. Ready for next time.